Faith and I moved into our house, I don't know, a year and a half ago. And one of the things that we decided is we were going to move into a house. We were willing to move into a house, I should say, that required a little bit of work. Now, I'm not the handiest man around. I don't pride myself in what I can fix or what I can do. Um, but I, I'm always up for a challenge, and I'm always willing to learn something new. And so when we moved into this house, it was clear what we wanted to do first. We wanted to paint. We wanted to remove a couple things, demo a couple things, because, you know, that's fun. And then we needed to reconstruct and rebuild a few things. So we started with the walls. Painted all of those. Those are looking good. And then we had a wood-burning, like, stove furnace thing. I always call it the wrong thing. But it would heat up our back living room to, like, 115, and our bedroom would still be, like, 65. And it took up, like, this much space. So we invited some people over, got some sledgehammers, and destroyed it. And it was amazing. Um, so after doing that and getting that out, then we redid all of the floors. So, like, every square, well, except the bathroom, which is, like, the size of a closet in our house. Like, except the bathroom, we ripped up all of the floors, put in new flooring. Anyway, by the end of, like, six months, I'm not going to lie, I was feeling pretty good about myself. Like, all the work that we had done, and I had help, of course, but I felt like I knew what I was doing, and I started to build some confidence. So then a problem arose that wasn't part of our, you know, demoing, and it wasn't on our radar, I jump in the shower and I turn it on and I can see water, the best of, this is the best way for me to describe it, oozing out of the wall just to the left of the shower head. And I'm thinking, oh no, that some pipe must have burst back there, that it was spraying so hard against the wall that it had softened enough that like water was dripping out of the wall. That's what, that's what it appeared to be. And so... I'm looking at that, I'm like, oh man, but then I thought, I mean, I'm basically a contractor at this point, so like, I mean, I, I was like, all right, let's go, let's do this, so I'm trying to figure out, and I'm planning what I'm going to do, and I, I found out where the best place to cut into the wall was, and I was ready to go, and I was ready to be Mr. Fix-It, Bob the Builder, whatever you want to call it, but then I, I had this, I'll call it a holy pause, what if I'm wrong? What if I cut into this wall? demo my house, I'm like, ah, you see those floors, they look good, I know what I'm doing. So I did have the um, awareness, I guess you could say, um, or the humility, you could say, it's like, well, I'll call my dad. So I called my dad, but there's a problem with calling my dad. My dad's like me, and what that means is, is he's a teacher, he's an instructor, and for me to ask somebody for help, I have to give up a lot of pride. And here's the other thing about my dad. He, no matter how well you know it, he's still always going to be who he is. He's going to be a teacher. He might have shown me how to change oil nine times, and I can do it blindfolded. When I go in there the tenth time, he's going to act like this is my first time, because that's who he is. He's going to teach me. He wants you to know it's in his DNA. So with calling my dad, I knew, well, if I call my dad, I'm then this project's not mine anymore, it's his. But I gave him a call because I just wanted to, I had enough humility to say, maybe I'm wrong. He comes over, checks everything out, and I've got, I'm like, I'm ready to go. I'm like, let's cut this thing open, here we go. Like, I would be a terrible surgeon, I'd be a little gun-ho. And he says, well, let's check the water again. So he turns on the water, and he kind of looks at it. And he puts his hand on the wall. And he realizes Water is spraying the back of his hand. And we both look at each other and we have this moment where it's like, 
huh? So he reaches up, grabs the shower head, problem solved. <laughs> to make myself feel better, I did go to Lowe's and we did put a new shower head on because, you know, we didn't want that to keep happening. But that way I could just feel a little bit better that there was a problem. But I was so worried, I was so frantic, I was so ready to jump in and wisdom saved the day. Wisdom saved the day. You know, it is really hard to admit when we are wrong. Does anybody else struggle with that? Like, to admit when you are wrong? Faith and I have this, like, battle where if one of us admits that the other one is right, both of us are like, wait, can you repeat that? What'd you say? Did you say I'm right? I'm right. And so we both kind of bicker about this whenever one of us is right because we hate being wrong. We hate being corrected. We hate being shown something that we didn't know before because it makes us look like we don't know what we're doing. Well, that's exactly what James is going to do today. He's going to show us where we get it wrong and what we need to do to make it right. And I just want us to be, well, in the spirit of everything, open to what it is we might need to redirect and correct. But let's review. We're in the book of James. This might be your first week. This might be your fourth week, which is where we are at in the series. But James, I love James because it's so ridiculously practical. Like it's, it's the Proverbs of the New Testament where it's just these wise things and sayings like, hey, this is a good idea. Do these things. Tame the tongue. Live out your faith. Rely on God. And he makes them so practical and so applicable. But the other thing that James does that I like, and, and I didn't really recognize it until studying, is James builds on everything that he says throughout this book. I used to separate everything, but what we're going to see is James is just adding more and more to the way that we are supposed to live in the way that he goes through this book. For instance, in James chapter 2, which we're going to be in chapter 3 today, but you'll see this verse on the screen. This is 2.14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them. So what James is saying here is, hey, look, if faith is just internal, if you just keep it to yourself, if it is for no one else except for you and your prayer room, you've missed it. But then he adds to this. In fact, he adds a whole new tool to the tool belt of something else that we are supposed to be using and a whole other way in which we are supposed to be living. And he invites us to embody not just faith, like he does here. He invites us to embody wisdom. And that's the interesting thing about wisdom is wisdom isn't knowledge. Wisdom isn't internal. You only know that someone is wise based on the way that they live. You can't just look at someone sitting there, I'm sure all of you are incredibly wise people, but I know that and I see that based on how you live, not on how you sit there and think and internalize and what you, it, it, how you display it is how I know that you would be a wise person. And James is saying the same thing here, that we don't want to look at the idea of wisdom, but the action and the life of wisdom. So that is exactly what we are going to do today in James chapter 3. And like I said before, let's be open because I think James wants to show us the right way to live out wisdom. So we're going to begin in verse 13. We're going to go a little bit into chapter 4. 
But follow along on the screen. If you guys would stand for the reading of Scripture, please. Let's read this together. Who is wise and understanding among you? Some of you are like, me. Let them show it by their godly life, by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That is very strong language. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder. We're going to circle back to that. And every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, it's pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive. Ooh, we don't like that word. Full of mercy and good fruit. Impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace. Sow is an action, right? Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Let's go to chapter four. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You can have a seat. James is talking about and is calling us to live and embody a life of wisdom. But the way that he does this is actually really great. It's, it's what you learn when you go to school, when, when you're learning how to preach, right? He shares the good news and he shares the bad news. And then he talks about what to do with the good news and, and the results and the conflict with the, with the bad news. And, and so I want us to kind of dissect what these two kinds of wisdom looks like. But before we do that, uh, like I said before, James is building on something here. You might not remember, because I did not remember either. In James chapter 1, he actually has a little bit to say about wisdom. He says this in chapter 1. Let perseverance finish its work. Okay, he's talking about the trials and temptations that he mentions earlier. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But the wisdom that James is talking about here, that, that's great, that's great advice, the wisdoms that James is talking about here is not in relationship to relationships. It's, it, he's talking about this wisdom like, hey, when you don't know what you're doing, when you're between a rock and a hard place, when you're not sure where to turn, you're, you're, you don't know where to go, you're, you're so overwhelmed, you're so, whatever the feeling is, when you know you can't handle it, Hey, turn to God. Like, it's that simple, that that is the wise thing to do. Ask for wisdom. You have a God and a Savior and a Creator who wants to help you. But the wisdom that James is talking about here is, is reactive wisdom. 
that when we get into a position when we can't handle it, we ask for God. But then he gets to chapter three because he wants to build on this. He wants to continue to equip us to live the best that we can. And he begins to talk about a proactive wisdom. Wisdom that you don't do it in response to something going on. You do it because it's who God has called you to be. You do it because this is who God is inviting you to become and how he wants you to live and the way he wants you to share your life. He wants you to be a wise person, not just when it's hard, but for all of our lives. So this is a proactive wisdom that he's talking about, but in order for us to understand this, we have to know what's at stake when we get this wrong, when we get this backwards. And this is where I think we can learn a thing or two. Because sometimes I feel the church is, Big C Church, can become a little unbalanced in its wisdom. Because this is tough, to live in the way that God is inviting us to live. To help us capture this a little bit, so as we said before, there's two types of wisdom. There's heavenly wisdom and there's earthly wisdom. And, and to be honest, the difference in these wisdoms is not in the big list of things that come, as it's in the source. That where we get it wrong is in the beginning. And source matters. You, source really matters. Let me, here's, here's why source matters. I'm about to ruin all of your lives. So, do you guys like vanilla? Anybody like vanilla? You can raise your hand. Thank you, thank you. I see that hand. Okay, yeah, you like vanilla. Um, what's the source of vanilla? Vanilla bean that comes from a plant, and that's how we get vanilla. Did you know vanilla has another source? Some of you do, because I told you about it. Um, this is family worship, right? Okay. Um, the other source, so let me back up. I was getting breakfast, uh, Faith and I were getting breakfast with some friends, and my friend is sharing this same dialogue with me as he gets his like vanilla frappuccino or whatever, and we're sitting there talking, and he goes, you know, vanilla has two sources, and I'm like, cool, this is really awesome. So we're talking, and you know, I'm just going along with it, and he's like, yeah, it comes from vanilla beans, and it comes from, and he's like, I'll let you take a guess, and I'm thinking it's something absurd, so I say something absurd that couldn't be possible, and I said, oh, the rear end of an animal, and he goes, yeah. I was like, wait, what? And he, he pulls out his phone. He goes, vanilla comes from two places. Vanilla bean, which is common, but also common, which all of us have consumed, is vanilla that comes, in, comes from the rear end of a beaver. Just, I need you to imagine this with me for a second. Like, like what if you went to a store to buy vanilla ice cream? but it was labeled based on the source, not on the product. Rear end beaver ice cream. You wouldn't buy it. Now all of you are like freaked out, you're never getting anything vanilla again. You've eaten it already, you're fine, right? But the source matters. If things were labeled that way, if we knew where things come, came from, we'd, we wouldn't feel so good about it. It would make us uncomfortable. We wouldn't really be sure, like, wait, that's what that is? But here's the thing, both are labeled vanilla. Vanilla that comes from beans and vanilla that comes from the rear end of a beaver. Both are labeled vanilla. We've consumed both, we've tried both. We can barely tell the difference. 
I don't think we can tell the difference. I hope we can't tell the difference. Source matters. Heavenly wisdom, earthly wisdom. Both are labeled wisdom. But when we know where they come from, it should radically change the way that we live. And this is what James is trying us to get to. So let's actually take a look at this verse. So here's heavenly wisdom. Let, let, let me show you the results of heavenly wisdom, because I think this is the wisdom that we would want, right? Humility, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, impartial, sincere. We like this vanilla. This is great. I would, I would, I would take that all day. I would love that. Let's look at rear-end wisdom, you know. Selfishness, envy, boastful, denies the truth, can't admit they're wrong. Another way, right? Unspiritual, demonic, disordered. Both are labeled wisdom, but they give you, they look drastically different when you get to the source. Both are called wisdom, but they're just, there's one that I want over the other. Can, can, is, that, is that fair enough? That I want the heavenly wisdom. And here's what's difficult about this. If I were to hand all of you a paper and it said, do you want heavenly wisdom? And you have to check yes or no. Every single one of us would check, yeah, I want heavenly wisdom. We all want that. But I think there's some tension that exists that makes it difficult to always live that. Because you see some people who do that and live that so well. Like how can two people who have the same desire live drastically different lives? And one way that I think about this is when I think about my personal relationships, there are some relationships that I have that I have a more eternal lens towards. That I'm more gracious towards these people because you know maybe I know they're gonna be in my life a long time or I'm more patient or I'm more selfless. I'm more apt to respond with heavenly wisdom and to live out heavenly wisdom. But there's other relationships that we have where we can get a little more earthly. Like when somebody cuts us off in traffic, like when we're waiting in line, when we're frustrated or something, when our order gets wrong, when a coworker makes you mad, when, I mean, fill in the blank with whatever scenario and it seems like we're willing to treat some relationships as eternal and some relationships as earthly. But I think wisdom wants to correct that for us. So what I have here is, I have a level. But let me just explain to you, here's, here's why I chose a level. When we... When we respond with wisdom, let's say it's the person who cut us off in traffic. What we want to do is in that moment, what do we think? We think that we are better than that person, that that person is wrong, that uh, they were the one that made the mistake, that they were the one that isn't right, that they were the one that messed up, and we're the ones that right. And so what we do is, is in our earthly wisdom and seeing how right we are and seeing how wrong they are and seeing how, how we are the ones that should be, you know, we elevate ourselves 
And we do this in relationships all the time where we see ourselves as better, we see ourselves as greater, we see ourselves as right, and selfishness takes over, envy takes over. I should have been the one to get that promotion. I should have been the one that, that got that, you know, fill in the blank, right? And, but when we elevate ourselves, it automatically deflates others. That to raise ourselves up, to think more of ourselves, to think so great of ourselves, to think all of those things that earthly wisdom tells us, right, is to make ourselves greater has a cost. And that cost is toward the person that we're aiming that towards. This is what earthly wisdom tells you. If I'm going to get ahead, if I'm going to get the promotion, if I'm going to, you know, like, let me give a, an example that's going to hurt, okay? So, so earthly wisdom would say, like, because we think we're so great, like, you know, gossip in the form of a prayer request like, that we're willing to tear somebody down, but we do it in a form of a prayer request. But really, we're just trying to get to this. We want people to think that we're better than we really are or to think less of somebody else. Like, that's what earthly wisdom would tell us we need to do. That in order to get ahead, in order to be successful, we need to think about ourselves. We need to do things that elevate ourselves. But we never consider the cost and how it affects other people. Let me read you in scripture what the cost is, is when we operate out of balance. And this is scary. Scary sounds dramatic, but this is unique because it's so timely for where our world is at right now. We see people currently living in a way to elevate themselves at the expense of others. Just listen to this with that lens. This is chapter four. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you, specifically your disordered desires? You desire, but you don't have. So you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you're asking with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is what earthly wisdom does. This is how earthly wisdom operates. And we've convinced ourselves, it's wisdom, but the result is so drastically different. But what's important for us today is we don't want to live this way, right? We want to live this way. And you're like, well, yeah, of course we want to live this way. Why do we want to live this way? Because this is the way that Jesus lived. This is the way that Jesus demonstrated that. That when Jesus went to the cross, just like we celebrated in communion, all are welcome at the table, all are equal. He died for everybody. The enemy the person that we think is good and is a peacemaker, the one causing destruction, the one giving life. We've talked about the tongue, right? The one that tears down with what they say, the one that builds up. Here's the thing. Nobody is out of bounds of God's grace. This is how God sees everybody. Everybody is on an even playing field. And we get tempted to thwart that. But there's one simple, easy way but difficult way, but practical way, but tough to balance the scale. And that's through humility. Humility. That when we elevate others, 
instead of ourselves. That when we give without expecting anything in return, or as John 3.33 says, he must become greater, I must become less. Or as Philippians 2 says, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus who made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And we keep doing this and we keep acting this way. And, but here's the thing, that the problem with this, this is so contrary to the earthly wisdom that we see. But that's exactly what is required of us. And we pour out and we give and all of a sudden, the scale that once looked like this, where we are more concerned about ourselves, that earthly wisdom convinced us of, it starts to even out. But if you're like me, you're gonna notice a problem. That the more that we do this, if we keep doing this, that we think, once we get here, I'm good, I need to stop, I'm fine, that I've, I've righted my wrongs, I've done reconciliation, all of the things, we're back to even. But this isn't where heavenly wisdom stops. Heavenly wisdom doesn't stop when it's even. But it pours, and it pours, and it gives, and it gives, and it expends, and it spends, to the point where, as we give, and as we spend, and as we act pure, and as we act righteous, and as we pour ourselves out, and pour ourselves out, if you do that enough, you're like, Jay, there's a problem. That's still not balanced. That's not the way that God wants us to live. That's not the way that God wants us to be. But it is. You're like, you mean I'm supposed to live like this? I'm supposed to elevate the person that I hate and give of myself? That doesn't sound like wisdom. That's wisdom. But here's, here's why this is the way that Jesus wants us to live, because this is the thing that we don't calculate, is the more that we pour ourselves out, we give ourselves up, that we are submissive, that we are people of reconciliation, that we are people that respond in a way that is so contrary to the world, that we feel unbalanced, we feel like, how are we supposed to keep doing this? We should never be the ones to raise ourselves up. We should always be the ones to pour ourselves out, because what does Christ do? He poured himself out. He fills us up. He gives us the energy. He equips us with what we need. He gives us everything we need and raises us back up. Why? So that we can pour ourselves back out again. So that we can give and give and spend and give up of ourselves so, what? so he can lift us back up. And then we give and we give and then he pours himself. This is why Jesus went to the cross and he poured himself out, right? So that he could raise us back up. But that wisdom's hard. That wisdom is tough. It's difficult to ask me to maintain living that way. Chapter 3, verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I imagine that all of us have relationships that are a little out of balance. All of us have relationships that are a little out of balance. And you might think, well, well, yeah, I'm never gonna see that person again. But no, there's people you're close with where relationships are out of balance. And you might think, no, they don't, they don't, they don't deserve me to give up anything else. That's what earthly wisdom wants to, to convince ourselves of. But, but God is asking us to do the opposite, to tip the scale, to pour ourselves out to act in humility and love, to be considerate, peace-loving, impartial, sincere. 
the wisdom of God is not the wisdom of this earth. It's just not. It doesn't compute. It doesn't add up. The sources are way different. And when our wisdom comes from the wisdom of God, it will look different than what is going on around us. We will respond in peace. We will live in peace. We will start in humility. We admit when we are wrong. We move forward with grace. This is the wisdom of God that is so contrary to our world. I've read this passage over 100 times. Matthew chapter 5. Some of you have read it 1,000 times. But in light of what we're talking about today, I just want you to listen to it one more time as we close. These are the words of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. If we were worried about being balanced, if you were worried about being balanced, the cross never would have existed. Because we act like, oh, the cross, you came and died on the cross to make things right. But here's the deal. You died knowing that people won't care, that people still won't love, that evil to one degree or another still exist. That people, not everybody's gonna accept you, not everybody's gonna love you, not everybody's gonna come to know you, and you died anyway. God, give us the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. Taking on the form of a servant in everything that we do. And while the wisdom of this world would suggest if we don't benefit from it, we probably shouldn't do it, but that's not how you roll. God, you invite us to something so much bigger and so much greater and so much beyond ourselves. And maybe we need corrected, maybe we need righted, maybe we need to admit that we're wrong in order to move forward in the way that you're calling us to. But God, I pray that, that out of today's message and worship and service, as James has been so adamant about, that we would move forward from here living it out, not keeping it to ourselves, not changing a thing, not keeping it internal, but God, that we would, we would move because we are not consumers, we are participants. That we are not an audience, but God, we are an army. And you invite us to this kind of life, to deploy us to this kind of life so that we can live this kind of life. Help us to do that today as it relates to wisdom, not earthly wisdom, heavenly wisdom, pure wisdom, humble wisdom that only comes from you, Jesus. We love you, and it's in your holy name we pray. Everybody said. Before you go, each week we send you out with something tangible to do or a reminder. We've done text, we've done a card, we've done uh, duct tape, right? This one's not quite as tangible, but 
I think, ultra-effective. But the reason this isn't intangible is because of what it requires of you, because it's going to leave you looking like this, that you're going to feel unbalanced by doing it. You're going to feel uneasy by doing it. Um, Earlier this week, I was talking with a church who spends, intentionally spends, zero dollars on their marketing. And I was like, well, that's a terrible idea. You want people to come to your church, right? Yes, we do. You want people to come to know Jesus? Yes, we do. You want people to, and I asked them all these questions, and they're like, yeah, we spend zero dollars on our marketing. Well, why? Because we don't want any of the credit for what God is doing. And so I was like, explain, explain. So he goes on to tell me, yeah, we, everything that we do, we, partnering with a local ministry, um, or doing something with a church, or everything that they do, they don't want any of the credit. So they partnered with this church, huge local community event, and this church tag team this event. It was a huge success, it helped tons of people, it was amazing. This church said, hey, we'll take care of all of the graphic design stuff, we'll take care of all the t-shirts, we'll take care of all the fun stuff. And do you know what they did? They took all of that stuff, they funded all of that stuff, they did all of that stuff, and they put the other church's logo on it. Because they didn't want any credit for the good work that was going to be done. And I said, that is not wise, that's stupid. And they said, but that way we don't get the glory. But that way we don't get the credit. And I'm looking at that, and I'm like, do you know, like, do you know how silly that is? But that church is thriving. God is blessing that church because they send people on mission to be people who sow peace. That their marketing strategy isn't their signs. It's not what they spend. It's not what they get credit for. It's how they live in such a radically different way. I want that to be our marketing strategy today, to go and do things, and no one knows who gets credit for it except God. Hey, that, who paid for my meal? Don't know. Hey, who's this card from? I don't know. Hey, who's anything that you want to do? Here's what I want you to do. Do it anonymously for the benefit of others to where it's impossible for you to be elevated to this position and you are always at the expense of others, only to elevate others. This is the kind of wisdom that Jesus is inviting us to. So I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know what it looks like for you in your context, but this is what I want us to do. To sow peace anonymously. Sounds crazy, sounds silly, but it sounds like the wisdom that comes from heaven to me.